titling Starve the Monster. And uh, I have really, really been excited about teaching this series because this series has been about a year and a half in the works. Uh, just to let you know, one of the things that our staff and our elders and our small group uh, leaders, we always ask them, what are some things that you want us to talk about? So about a, about a year, year and a half ago, we put this on the books. And uh, I'm so excited because I've been processing this sermon uh, for quite a while now. I'm going to tell you about my journey uh, through looking at starving the monster of entitlement and appetites. And, uh, uh, you know, one of the things we do here at One Church TV is we, we teach in series many times. And what we'll do is we will look at a topic uh, for three or four weeks. And uh, I will talk about all I really have, all I know about that topic. And then we'll move on to a next one. And sometimes series are a little shorter because I don't know as much. So anyway, but today we're going to be talking about uh, starving the monster of entitlement and appetites. Now here's where I want to begin, because I really want to first talk about appetites. Now, before I start talking about appetites, some of you are a little stressed. Because last night, you kind of you went off the books a little bit, and, and you're thinking, great, this is going to be a sermon series on what I should not have eaten last night. Well, let me just put all of our fears to rest, uh, and let's look at a, a sport... Uh, called competitive eating. Now I know uh, what an incredible idea for support. And get this, I mean there are actually over 100 competitive eating contests all throughout the United States here in the U.S. And if it's a food, whether uh, it's uh, a hot dogs, pizza, ice cream, chili, jalapenos, uh, asparagus. And again, I know before we go any further, let me just introduce you to, to a few of the competitors. In fact, there's going to be a video playing behind me. Um, this, uh, the, if you follow competitive eating, by the way, which I'm sure you do, because, I mean, who doesn't? Um, you know that there are two really big uh, names in here. This is, uh, uh, not that guy, the, the guy before. Uh, his name is Kobayashi, and I'll, show, I'll point him out here in a sec. His nickname is the Tsunami, and uh, that's not Kobayashi, but we'll, we'll get to it. It's the dude uh, with the headband uh, over to the left. Uh, that dude is a beast. Um, because um, he is like putting down more food uh, than I can even dream about. In fact, let me tell you about his competitor, Joey Chestnut. His nickname uh, is Jaws. Uh, he ate 103 Crystal Burgers in eight minutes. And right now, and, hey, there's a reason why they call them sliders. Anyway, hashtag onechurch.tv, just saying. Anyway, um, I mean, uh, I mean... Joey Chestnut, he is the world reigning champion, and Kobayashi is kind of the person kind of behind. Uh, how many of y'all want a hot dog at this moment? Like none of us, right? I'm just like, Ugh. all right. But here's the thing. Let me give you some insight on competitive eating. Because the fact, this is so fascinating, because I would have thought that the strategy going into a contest would be not to eat a lot. It would be to kind of starve yourself to get really hungry. And not just hungry, but hungry. Y'all know, know the difference between hungry and hungry is, right? There's a difference, all right? So I, I would think you would starve yourself, and then you would, you know, you would go in there and so you could be really hungry. But you know what? That's not the strategy they use at all. Um, Kobayashi is quoted as saying this. My strategy for competitive eating is for a couple of weeks before the contest, I eat as much as I can. I eat as much as I can for breakfast. I eat as much as I can for lunch. And I eat as much as I can for supper. And my stomach starts to expand. I have realized that the more you eat, the more you want. 
to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty insightful. That the more you eat, the more you want to eat. Because our appetites, and it goes way beyond food, it goes beyond to a lot of different things, but our appetites, that God has designed us in such a way that you and I are just a big bundle of appetites and desires. And the only word that our appetites know is the word more. They can't be satisfied. Appetites always want more. How much is enough? Well, we always want more. We always crave more. Now, again, it's easy to talk about food because, again, we're in November. And there's something happens on a Thursday in November, right? What is it? Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving happens. And I don't know about your household for Thanksgiving, but it's off the chain in our household. I mean, there is turkey. There is dressing. There is cran apple sauce. There's a homemade uh, pumpkin pie. There's a homemade, I'm not a big pumpkin pie eater. I, I like pecan pie, right? Because I'm close to Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> you do too. Uh, there's, there's, uh, there's usually uh, like a, a green bean casserole, and there's mashed potatoes. And again, it's just really, really good. And I, I, there's been many a times, probably, and you've done this as well, you've pushed back from the Thanksgiving table. Right, and you probably already unbuttoned your top button, right, uh, of, of your jeans or whatever. Or if you really planned ahead, sweatpants. Hashtag stretchy pants. Right. <laughs> anyway, chacho. When you're a man, no, I'm just gonna, a little bit of nacho libre. All right. So anyway, my point is, you push back from the Thanksgiving table and you go, I can't eat another bite. Right. And uh, how many of y'all have ever said that? I can't eat another bite. Quick question. Did y'all all eat another bite later? Yes. We always do. You didn't stop eating. Right? I mean, in fact, what happened on Friday after Thanksgiving for lunch, you went back to the fridge and got you a turkey sandwich. And you maybe even put a little bit of cran apple on there. So not cran apple, but cranberry sauce or whatever. And you put it on there and you had another helping. You did because when it comes to our appetites of hunger... We always want more. Well, let's go to stuff. All right? We always want more stuff. For some of you, how many of y'all are, you're kind of, you're kind of like technology geeks out there. Let me see you. That when something comes up, me and you, okay, when, when something comes out, you just want it. All right? The iPhone 6S has come out, and I'm starting to tremble. Right? I am. Right? Because I, I'm, all, I'm kind of a techno geek. Or if the new iPad or, if, you know, whatever it is, the new uh, processor, we always want faster, we want more. Um, for some of you, you got the 42-inch, you know, widescreen TV, but now your next goal is the 52-inch 4K TV. Have y'all seen the 4K TVs? It's crazy, right? Um, and I, I, I mean, I've never, I've only seen them in Best Buy, right? And I'm just going, then I go, right? Um, or for you, you know, you want the bigger boat, you want the faster car, uh, you want to trade in your Kawasaki for a Harley. Whatever it is, you want the faster processor, we just want more stuff. Let me give you another appetite, all right? Uh, ladies, I've kind of been talking about, maybe you just re, you redone the kitchen, and, and everything looks great, but, and, but now you went over to somebody else's house, and they got stainless steel appliances, right? And you, and, you're, and you want those stainless steel appliances, or maybe... Uh, um, maybe you saw you know, the next haircut or the next whatever it is, and you're like, I so want that, right? Because our appetites are always crying out for more. Guys, all right, I, I, let me ask you this question. When it comes to sex, how much sex is enough? Answer? Right? 
some of you are like, listen, I ain't never been to church before, honey, but I like this pastor. All right? Because for guys, right? Uh, I mean, it's like the more, the more sex we have, the more sex we want. Because uh, that's an appetite. It's a God-given appetite. But we always want what? More. We do. All right? Now, let me just say this up front. That our appetites, they're not bad. And I don't think all of this is a reflection of the image that God has given us, that God gave us these appetites. But the problem is, God created our appetites, but so many times sin distorts them. You know, to win is a good thing. To create is a good thing. To be loved is a good thing. To be cherished is a good thing. To be successful is a good thing. To procreate is a real good thing. Somebody say amen. Thank you very much. All the guys said that. God created them, but here's the problem. Sin distorts them. Because let me tell you what I know about you and about me. You and I, we have an appetite right now that is battling for control in our life. And it always wants more, and it's never satisfied, and it's trying to control us. How do we curb these appetites? Because so many of us, you have, some of you, you come from broken homes where you saw an appetite blow up a marriage. Because she couldn't control this or he couldn't control that. Some of you, you have been a part of broken marriages because an appetite just pushed it to the brink and really over the edge. How do we curb, how do we control these appetites? Well, the Bible speaks of something called a fast. Well, what is a fast? Some of you think, that's when you go really quick, right? Well, no, it's true. A fast is when you simply say no to an appetite so that you can say yes to something that is better. So that you can say no to some of these, so that you can say yes to something is better, and that something is God. Now, I want to tell you about something that I have been doing, because it's kind of my journey. Uh, we started this spring something called Bold. And some of you were here during that time, some of you weren't, but let me just kind of bring you up to speed. Bold is kind of an attack on normal, and we want our church to become bolder than ever. So what that looks like for us is this. Our bold, new, bold move number one is we want to create a permanent facility. Uh, uh, we love portable church, and we set up and tear down, and we believe that portable is always going to be a thing for us because we want to start more churches, unchurched people love for us to be 100% portable. So we want to find a permanent facility or build a permanent facility so that we can have a little bit more bandwidth so that we can do some more stuff in our community. Uh, we can do some more things like trunk or treat and some of those other things that, again, how many of y'all were at trunk or treat last? Wasn't that amazing? Oh my gosh. Just special thank you to our family ministry uh, and all of you guys who are volunteered. You guys are just so, so amazing. Um, our bold, uh, bold move number two is we want to launch another campus. We want to start another church for people who don't go to church. And again, as we were processing, and th you know there was a financial commitment here, Kim and I, we started asking ourselves, what can we do so that we can free up some more money so that we can be able to give more? And one of the things that I made a commitment to last April is I decided to go on a six-month spending fast. And I really didn't tell anybody about it. I, in fact, I really didn't even talk with my wife about it. Um, I just wanted to do it personally myself. And I, and I heard this uh, from a guy by the name of Kerry Newhoff. Kerry Newhoff. He's a pastor up in uh, Canada. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting him this past Monday uh, when, when we were in Atlanta just for a quick short stint. And uh, Kerry talks about he, he wanted to do a spending fast. And he did it for a certain amount of time. And, and I'm like, man, I just, as, as I'm listening to the podcast of him, I'm like, that stinks. 
I don't want to do that. And as the more I, I disliked it, the more I realized I felt like maybe it was God was saying, maybe you need to do this. And I'm like, mm. So uh, I, I decided. I decided to do it. And let me kind of give you some of my rules um, because, uh, and none of these rules are found in the Bible. This is stuff I made up. So if you decide to do a, a, you know, a six-month spending fast, some of you are like, good luck on that, Pastor. Not going to happen. All right, but you can kind of make up your own. But here, here was some of my rules that I kind of made up. All right, so I'm going to give you a bird's-eye view, and then I'm going to drill down on some principles that I learned over the past six months, and I'm going to share some of this with you. So six-month spending fast. First, first of all, I'm not going to buy any new clothes. Now, again, if you know me, you know, I, I'm not like a clothes hog or anything like that. Um, but I, sometimes I get a little, uh, how do I say, I wear my feelings on my sleeve because I know I'm up here and I'm, I don't want to look dumpy. You know, like last week, no lie, I can't even make this up. Last week, one of our people who were watching online, I was wearing for, for you guys at 9 o'clock an orange sweater. And they said, you kind of look like the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. So uh, I wore something different at 11 o'clock. Sometimes I can be a little oversensitive about like that, but you know what? I can live with that, right? So as, I, as I'm going through, i got tons of clothes in my closet, and you probably do too. So I'm thinking, okay, for the, the, the next six months, I'm really not going to spend anything, any new clothes, because I think i got enough. Number two, I'll tell you, number one wasn't really a, a huge, you know, oh, you know, it was number two for me, to buy zero Zero technology, new or used. Oh, I mean, I am, again, I'm a techno geek. Again, you and I, right? We're techno geeks. And I, and I see that. And man, like the new Apple TV came out. And I'm like, you know, I'm like frothing at the mouth because I'm an Apple freaking weird dude, right? And I just love technology. So I decided for those six months, I'm not going to buy any new technology. And I'm not going to buy any DVDs. Now, again, those that know me have been to my house, you know I got a problem. All right, I like movies, right? And I, and, and I like DVDs. So I, I decided not to buy any DVDs for the, those six months. Now, I will say this. I did buy uh, some digital movies. And I'm going to talk about that here in a sec. But, um, but uh, I, I didn't buy any DVDs. And I was like, oh, you know, when the new Avengers came out, I'm like, I so want to get that because I like DVDs. Anyway, anyway uh, three, no new personal items at all. And again, I, I could buy shampoo. I could buy deodorant. And some of you are very thankful. Uh, but all the discretionary things that we can purchase, I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. Now, one of the local pastors asked me, well, Chris, does that mean you can't buy any food? Uh, well, yes, no, I can't buy any food for the whole year or the whole next six months. I'm not going to buy any food, and I'm going to get down to my birth weight. <laughs> yes, I'm going to buy food. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, again, it's discretionary things. So, uh, yeah, I was able to buy food, and I was still able to do that. But next one, four, is that, uh, and this is important because i got a wife and kids, that purchases for the family are allowed. Purchases for the family are allowed. Because just because maybe I'm suffering through something doesn't mean everybody in my family has to suffer. So, like, we took a couple of our kids to Alabama for, like, three days. We had a leaky faucet, like, two weeks ago. Uh, we got it repaired. Uh, purchases of the family are allowed. And number five, gift cards can be used for personal shopping. Gift cards can be used for personal shopping. Some folks gave me some iTunes cards, and I was able to purchase some, like, digital movies online. But other than that, um, you know, if I didn't have, you know, and like for Christmas or New Year's or, like, a birthday, if somebody gave me a gift card, you know, I could use it, um, but uh, I, and I could use that, but that was kind of the only thing. So, now, let me just say this. Over the past six months, um, I'll tell you, the first few months, it was kind of difficult. It was. 
Because I, you know, I, again, those who know me, I just, I just, there's some things that I just kind of have like these Achilles heel for. Um, and you are probably the same as well. But one of the things I've learned over the past six months is there's a difference between a want and a need. And uh, some of you who are parents, uh, I, I mean, this is kind of a big deal for you, isn't it? Because you have got kids, and you're raising kids, and you're worried because, man, I don't think they know the difference between a want and a need. It, it's so weird to me that we're some of the most prosperous people who have ever lived, that we lived in the prosperous country all over the world, and, and the most proper, prosperous country in human history. And yet, we, uh, we are some of the richest people. And some of you are like, I'm not rich. But when you compare what you make to what the rest of the world makes, the United States pretty much consumes like 90% of the world's wealth and the, world res- and the world's resources. You and I are filthy rich compared to other people all over the world. Now, we don't compare ourselves to people like that, do we? We compare ourselves to who? Each other, the Joneses, whoever they are down the street. Everybody's trying to keep up with them, right? But I, as I've been kind of working through this over the past six months, I realized that my problem, and it's probably your problem, is something called entitlement. We all have this problem with this monster that lives inside of us, and, and we have this appetite, and, and, and the monster always wants more. Over time, I realized that as, as I got more and more stuff in my life, because again, I'm 44, I have more stuff in my life now than I've ever had. And some of you could probably say the same thing as well. You've got more stuff than you've ever had. You're driving nicer cars than you've ever dr- driven. You've got a nicer house. You're probably living in the nicest house you've ever lived in. You're better off now than you ever have been. Yet you still want more. Why is that? Why is that? Well, over the next four weeks, we're going to be really drilling down into that concept. But today, I want to ask this question. Here it is. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? Because, again, about, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. I found out as I got more, I wanted more. Some of us, we have more money in our bank accounts. We've got more investments I mean, we're doing all of the things. I mean, if you were to go back and tell you 15 years ago that you would have the stuff that you have now, I mean, the person 15 years ago, uh, the Eric or the Katie or the Sheila or the Bob or the Mark, whoever it is, they'd go, man, there's no way you could ever be able to have that. But you have it now. And you're more miserable. You're probably very frustrated. And you always want more so that leads us to our second question why does enough keep on changing why does enough keep on changing how come when i thought if i only had this amount of money or if i was able to drive this type of car or or if if i was able to get this type of rank this type of advancement then it would be enough but we found out it's never enough you can apply this to success Some of you thought, you know, if I could just get that promotion. And guess what? You got the promotion, right? And you thought, if I could get that promotion, I would spend more time with the kids. And the kids see you less now than ever before. Maybe it's relationships. When I find the right person, then I'll be happy. And then you found who you thought was Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And then you're like, how come she's not enough? How come he's not enough? How come they're not enough? 
Maybe it's the same way with food. You start eating a little bit, and then you want more. And the, why? Because the appetite starts growing. And drilling over this over the past six months, about just all of this, I feel like the root of my problem, and it might be your problem, because I'm really preaching to myself today, is this nasty little word called entitlement, that I felt entitled to the things that I probably should not have felt entitled about. You know, a lot of the things that I'll be sharing over the past, this next month, excuse me, comes from a book that was just released. I've been reading it like a fiend, and, and called The Entitlement Cure by Dr. John Townsend. In fact, let's listen to what he has to say about the book. Instead of the words, I deserve, to start to use the words, I'm responsible. I deserve a house. I deserve a nice marriage. I deserve people to like me. I deserve a good job. Well, actually, you have to work for those things. Nobody's going to offer you those things. So I'm responsible. How do I become a healthy person that should get a great marriage? How do I get a good job? How do I become a person who's financially solvent? I'm responsible for that. So we change the words from deserve, which is an entitlement word, to I'm responsible. Anyway, that book is called The Entitlement Cure, and I would encourage you uh, that over this next month that you would just maybe set some time aside to be able to read that because all of us battle entitlement. A teenager's battle entitlement, our kids in battle entitlement, our grandkids in battle battle entitlement, Uh, adults, we struggle with entitlement. Uh, Why do adults think that they're entitled to their grandparents' house that it took their grandparents 20 to 30 years to get and they feel entitled to it in their 20s. Why do their kids, why do kids feel entitled with technology? Why is it they feel entitled to certain gifts at Christmas? Why is it that we feel entitled to a certain house in a certain neighborhood, entitled to a certain level of success? Why is that and where does that come from? Well, the definition of, the, of entitlement is this. Entitlement is thinking that you have the right to something that's actually a privilege. Let me say that again. Entitlement is thinking that you have the right to something that is actually a privilege. I think I just have the right to something that's a privilege. I think I have the right to the latest phone. I have a right to a certain neighborhood. Entitlement is not just, it's not just, it just comes from this nasty place inside of us that we just think, you know what, I deserve. I deserve. And again, I'm preaching especially in the context of a culture that is the most wealthiest culture on our planet in the history of the world, and we want more. Why is that? Now, some of you, my phone's blowing up because I got some of you guys texting me, or ladies, I don't know who you are, but you're saying, like, how can we encourage our young children under seven who have received so much from grandparents not to feel entitled to gimme, gimme, gimme? That's a great question that I'm not going to answer. Why? Because in two weeks... I'm going to talk specifically about kids. So you've got to come back to church. All right, anyway. <clears throat> but let me just say this as we dig in today. You know what? Are you friends with this monster? Uh, are you battling this monster or have you become buddies? Because the problem is, if you feed the monster, it grows. Are you friends with the monster of entitlement? And hear me. This is, you can struggle with this whether you're a Christian or an atheist. Maybe you're a churchgoer or maybe church is not your thing and you're just kind of, you're kind of watching this online. And I get that. 
But let me tell you, I think all of us struggle with this. In fact, the, mo the more I live my life, the more I realize that if you really think about life issues, the more you realize that they're God issues. And the more you think that that's just a spiritual, that's a God issue, you're actually realizing, you know what, that's actually a life issue. Because life and God, you're going to realize, go really intermingled, if you will. So, uh, I really want to encourage to be able to help starve this monster. So, let me give you some signs that you're struggling with entitlement. And then we're going to be uh, in a great book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. It's going to take you a while to find that, so you may want to start thumbing. Let me, signs that you're struggling with the monster of entitlement. First one is this. Lack of gratitude. Again, the reason why we chose to do this in, in November. What do we celebrate in November? Thanksgiving. I'm just going to go and put it out here. My challenge to you is you let Black Friday be Black Friday and you let Thursday that you're gratitude, you're grateful. That you don't go, and I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, I, that's going to go against the norm. What if that one church, got, it, it caught on with other churches and we said, you know what, we're not going to do this on Thursday. Because I'm telling you, if you struggle with entitlement, you struggle, you struggle with being, th being thankful. And I think it's no gray area that our culture has pretty much absolutely just have left thanksgiving in the dust when can we go out and get more so i'm encouraging us for this year you let thursday be a family day and you hang out with your family so again i think if we don't wake up in the morning and, and if we're not like i am so grateful then there's something wrong with us because God has given us a lot to be thankful for. If you're a Christian, you've got so much to be... And even if you're not a Christian, just that you live here in America, you should be thankful. I should be thankful. Because we have so much at our disposal, so much resources. And if you can't see it in yourself, you can see it in your kids, right? Because when you give them a gift and you sacrifice and you worked hard for, and when you give it to them and they're like, eh, what do you want to do? You want to go, ah! Right? You, you get angry. Right? I wonder if that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. That's too convicting. Let's move on. All right, next with this next one. Number two, envy coupled with a why can't we? Now, what is envy? Envy is just basically jealousy. Envy says, I should have a house like this. Or why can't I drive a car like this? Why can't I be successful as my sister-in-law or brother-in-law? Why can't I get good grades? Why can't I be as good-looking as her or him? Why can't I drive a car like that? Why can't we go on that vacation? How can we always go camping and they always go to Paris? Right? And, and Facebook feeds this, doesn't it? Come on now. Because, I mean, when you're, all, when you're away, you're like, right? And you... You know, you're doing the selfies and everybody, everything's happy. What your phone didn't capture was you screaming at your spouse while you were in Paris because the French, you don't know French, right? Whatever it is. And you're like, where's the French fries? They ain't here, right? Anyway, moving on. Not in my notes, sticking to it. All right, I love what Andy Stanley has to say about envy. Andy says this, envy and jealousy simply say this, God didn't give me enough. You are not angry with them. You're angry at somebody else. You're actually angry at God. You're like, God, 
How come you didn't give me enough? You didn't give me enough money. You didn't give me enough money so I could get the nice house. You didn't give me enough brains. You didn't give me enough good looks so that I could actually win that guy or girl. You didn't give me this. You didn't give me that. You're actually angry at God. Envy coupled with why can't we? Why can't I? Next one. A sense that you deserve something. Let me tell you where this comes out and rears its ugly head in me is when I go to a restaurant and I want to tip well, but when you don't get good service and you feel like I deserve good service. Uh, my, my friend, uh, I used to be friends with him until he confronted me on this, Luther Ramsey. Um, <coughs> uh, Luther would say, you know, you, you, you give a good tip even when you don't get good service. In fact, we're going to practice that in a couple of weeks. I so can't wait for y'all to do that. We're going to actually participate in a really fun thing actually here on stage, so it'll be good. Anyway, But when it comes to tipping, you, let me just say this. You don't deserve anything. That's what the Bible teaches. I'm tempted to think, you know what, I deserve a day off. I deserve this. I deserve this cruise. I deserve to live in this neighborhood. I deserve this car. Let me tell you what the Bible says. You don't deserve anything. But entitlement says, no, 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 I do. Thank you very much. Right? We expect, what is entitlement? Anybody remember the definition? Thank you. You got a right to something that's actually a privilege. Very good. All right, the, th the fourth one, secret anger. You just seethe inside. You have this anger, but it's kind of low grade. And you ask a lot of these questions. How come? How come I can't? How come she doesn't? How come? How come? How come? And you just fill in the blank. You have this, this anger, but it's low grade, and your anger is just kind of under the surface, and your anger is impacting your relationships, especially your relationship with God because He feels it, because really you're angry at Him. Man. You go around and you're secretly angry because other people are more successful and have this and have that. And last one is rationalization. We, we're going to focus primarily on money. Um, but you will see this when it goes everywhere because I think a lot of our spending and a lot of our decision-making, they're emotional. What you, what you make is an emotional decision and then you rationalize it. You backfill it with logic. Again, let's see if this sounds any, anywhere familiar. All right? You went to the mall. You weren't planning on spending nothing. Ding, ding, ding. Why are you at the mall? Well, let's move on. Okay? Anyway, you're, pl you're not planning to buy anything, but you went and you bought something. When you got home, the first thing you feel like you got to do is justify it. So you say something like this, it was on sale. All right, I just saw somebody nudge somebody. I'm not going to point them out. I'm just telling you, right? This happens all the time, right? And I can just end my message here, drop the mic, get off stage, and we can sing Kumbaya, right? Because this... This is us, rationalization. It was on sale, or, you know, the old one was going to break anyway. Or, isn't it dumb to pay full, full price when it was on sale? Well, let's just think through that logically. No price is cheaper than half price. Isn't that right? I mean, seriously, some of you are like, I mean, no price is cheaper than half price. Rationalization. Let me tell you, when we rationalize, we tell ourselves rational lies. Y'all have heard me say that. All of us, and all of the lies that we tell, the lies that we tell ourselves are the most deadly. Fortunately, the Bible drills down on this. And we're going to be looking today at, the, at, at, a, at a book in the Old Testament called the Book of Ecclesiastes. And it was written by the wisest person who ever lived. This guy was, I mean, he literally had more knowledge and more wisdom than anybody who's ever lived. He was the richest person on the planet at that time. 
Uh, I mean, you're talking about like physical sex and stuff. He had 100 women at his disposal. He had 300 wives. I know some of y'all went, dear Jesus, 300? All right, uh, that's not the definition of heaven. I'm not going to go. I'm just saying there was he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. So not only did he have a bunch of, of wives, he had a bunch of other women to do other things with him when his wives didn't want them to. And you just kind of fill in the blank there, right? All right, I'm just telling you, this guy should have had it all. The problem is he left God in the dust. And he kind of, his life was, he was just kind of doing this and kind of moving on to the next thing and the next thing. Why? Because he was letting his appetites control him. He felt entitled. So when we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, we really dig down deep into this whole star of the monster entitlement mindset. Because, in, I, I, again, I'm just going to say this. We think this may be a life issue, but really it's a spiritual issue that we're going to bump into God. In fact, I think some of you can bump into Jesus, this series, and he can change your life. But listen to what the wisest person who ever lived wrote at the end of his life. He said, those who love money will never have enough. Let's just get this, let's just go straight for the jugular. Those who have money will never have enough. Is there any ambiguity to this verse? No. In fact, this verse really answers the question, how much is it, when is enough enough? Answer, never. Never. Those who love money will never have enough. Now, you can take, let's take money out of there. Let's put sex there. Those who love sex will never have enough. Okay? You, you have this appetite for sex. It, it, it will always want more. Let's take something out. Those who love success will never have enough. Those who love people loving them. And some of you, you may know what this looks like. You always have to be the center of attention. You, all, you have to be the, the bride at every function. You have to be the bell at every ball. Everybody has to be looking at you. You have to have attention. You, you crave people loving you. How much is enough? Never. Never enough. Maybe those who idolize their children. Your kids will never be able to fill that hole in your life. You see, those who love money will never have enough. So if you're asking the question, when am I going to have enough money? The answer is, you're never going to have enough money. You're going to have to draw a line. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know if I really love money or not, Chris. Okay, this is where the scriptures really uh, hit us. Those who love money will never have enough. If you feel like you don't have enough, then you probably love money. Now again, I, I know i got to kind of curb this because some of you are like, I don't have enough because I'm not able to pay up my bills. I'm not able to pay, you know, the electric bill. And I'm, I'm not talking about you, but the majority of us in here, that's probably not us. Or some of us in here, we can't pay the electric bill because we're paying MasterCard everything, right, at 22% interest, and we don't have enough money to live on. And our answer is not just for you to get more money, because how much will be enough? Never will, all right? If you look back, the, you got more money now than you ever had, but it's never enough. That's the problem when you live with entitlement unchecked. How meaningless to think, verse 10, that wealth brings true 
happiness. Now, I like this, but I like what the original Greek, and, and this is found in the New American Standard Version. Let's throw that up here. Let me say this, say it this way, because I love how it kind of defines this. He who loves money will not be what? Satisfied with money. It's like, okay, he who loves food will not be satisfied with food. He who loves sex will not be satisfied with sex. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income, this too is vanity. So if you love money, if you struggle with it, if you feel entitled to it, you're never going to be happy with anything that you get. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's just like, wow, that's so depressing, right? Who wrote this book, Eeyore? I mean, I mean I've got this abundance, but you won't be able to enjoy what you've got. That is sad. How come it's not producing enough? The problem is because you are in a love relationship with some Benjamins. Who loves money will never be satisfied with money. You can't. Is vanity. Now, this is kind of a difficult word to translate because it's also translated as meaningless. This too is meaningless. Or this too is chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes is just such a fascinating book because Solomon wrote it towards the end of his life and it's a little bit of cynical wisdom. But it's kind of fun if you're having a bad day. You ought to read your Bible. All right? That's what it says. Verse 11. The more you have, back to the NLT, the more you have, the New Living Translation, the more people come to help you spend it. Isn't that just the truth? I mean, you got more, and some people are going, right? I mean, how, how does the Bible know that? Because <laughs> God's all-knowing. This is just a life principle and also a spiritual principle. The more you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? Wow, that the Bible actually has perspective on that. Those who love money will never have enough, back to verse 10. Until you wrestle this down with entitlement, you're never going to have enough. So I know we don't do this. Can we all say this? together this is kind of an all skate you don't have to say this but let's say this ready those who love money will never have enough let's say that one more time those who so question how do we get this way as we close how do we get this way well we got this way because if you remember we all have an appetite we all have an appetite Here's our, our big ideas in two parts the first part of our big idea is this is feeding an appetite fuels it Feeding an appetite fuels it. Money. I'm going to satisfy my money problem by making more money. Or if you're Damon Wayans, mo' money. Right? Anybody remember the movie Mo' Money? Okay, just me. Okay. But you're never going to have enough money. I'm going to satisfy my image problem by going to the gym more often. Or maybe getting surgery. Or maybe getting better clothes. But when you look in the mirror, guess what? You're still not going to be satisfied. I'm going to solve my sex problem by having more sex. For those of you who are trying to be celibate as a Christian, by the way, time out, TV time out, you know that's the way you're supposed to be doing it, right? Just give you a heads up. If you're a Christ follower, and if you're not married, you say no to sex. But you're like, okay, I've been saying no enough. I, like, deserve it. And you go out and you do this, and it's, aw- it's awakened in you these desires. How's that going for you? You say no now. When you said yes earlier. It's very difficult. It's very difficult. All of you should have got a bag of chips. Did you get your bag of chips when you came in? Gordon, can you take those out now? Ho- hopefully nobody ate them, right? Go ahead and get those bag of chips. 
Lay's Classic, all right? Now, if you just go ahead and take these bag of chips and just look at the bag of chips. Mmm. All right, now if you're watching online, if you will pause, and if you'll go to the store, and go get your bag of chips and come back, and we'll, we'll start back up. I want you to put this, these bag of chips in my hand. Now, most of, most of you, let me guess, you probably, when you came to church at 9 o'clock this morning, you weren't hungry for chips, right? But somebody gave you a bag of chips today and then had the audacity to tell you, don't eat them, right? And, and you haven't eaten them, right? So you got this. Now, I don't want you to open. I just want you to bring this bag just, just closer to you. Just, just look at it. I want you to just rub the bag just for a little bit. All right? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, for real, you can go ahead and open those up. Don't put your hand in the bag. Just open them up. I want you to smell them. Put your face in there. I mean, get it real good. You smell that? Mmm. Now, again... My bet, a quick question, do you want to chip more or less than you did at 7 o'clock this morning? Y'all are correct, right? More, thank you very much. Thanks for not ruining my illustration. Now, I want you to do, I want you to take your hand, put it in the bag, and I want you to pull one out. Everybody got it? I want you to lick it. I want you to flip it over. I want you to lick it again. Mm. Now, I want you to eat one. Not there's the point. I bet you can't eat just one. Mm. Mm. Here's my point. I may have to get me a drink of water here in a sec. <laughs> Feeding an appetite fuels it. You see, by giving into an appetite, it actually fuels the appetite. And this is the same. None of us were craving chips now. I've had one. I've had two. I've had three. Now, I'm craving something else to go with it. And this just made me more hungry for more chips. Because feeding an appetite fuels it. Now here's the thing. If that's the case, what can curb an appetite? Here's the rest of the big idea. Feeding an appetite fuels it. Denying an appetite curbs it. There it is. Here's what I've learned from doing my six-month spending fast. I learned that the longer I denied my appetite, the more it went away. Because denying my appetite for spending curbs it. Now, how do you starve the monster? Well, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty difficult to do. You deny the appetite. You just decide, and this is to do, I'm just going to fast. I'm, I'm going to deny my appetite. And if your appetite is to go and spend more money, then maybe you should deny your appetite. If my appetite says, just go online and look at some pornography, then you should deny that appetite. Because denying your appetite, this is, just, this is just a secret. It begins to starve the monster. Because all of us struggle with appetites. 
It's a battle for a little while, but with my experience, the first few months are the hardest, but after that, it just kind of, you get over it. So here's my challenge for today. I'm going to challenge you for one week, or maybe it's one month, for those of you who are a little bit spry, maybe six months, maybe a year, to go on a personal spending fast. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, it's November. Christmas is around the corner. Why do you think we're talking about this now? Because, see, as a country, we celebrate Thanksgiving, but we're not thankful. We're entitled. And some of you, you're like, my kids, they're entitled. How'd they get that way? Again, a couple weeks, we're going to talk about that. But for right now, we've got to talk about you. Because here's what I know. That children learn that from somewhere. And many times they learn it from us. So let's start with us. And my challenge for you, my challenge for you is to do a one-week spending fast. And you can make up your own rules. You don't have to do mine. But you just kind of do that. And you say, okay, I'm going to say no to technology. Or maybe technology is not your gig. It may be shoes. It may be dresses. It may be whatever it is. You just say, no, I'm not going to do that. And what you're going to see, it's going to be difficult for a while. But this monster of entitlement that's living inside of you and inside of me, it's going to start to shrink. And it's going to start to, it probably will never go away, but it will start, it will start losing its hold on us. So that's my challenge for us. Next week, we're going to talk more and dive into where do these things come from in us and start the monster week too. But my encouragement to you is this week, let's make a difference. Let's make a difference. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to even allow us to think about these things. And sometimes it's just so surprising to see that something written 3,000 years ago can just have so much application in our lives today. Heavenly Father, some of us are here trying to find you and we bump into life issues. And Lord, there's some of us here trying to solve life issues. And Lord, we just bump into you, God. Because so many of us, Lord, that we have these idols. And Lord, it's not little small statues that we worship, but it's things in our wallets. It's things that our wallets can buy. And I pray that you would allow us, you would help us to lay it down over the next four weeks. God, I pray that you would help us try to figure out to the extent what is fueling this inside of us. To what extent are we feeding it? And then, will you help us to defeat it, God? Heavenly Father, we want to live grateful lives. Lives that are just saturated with being thankful. And God, I pray that you would allow us to be able to do that. For it's in Jesus' heavenly name that we pray. Amen.